welcome to another episode of Stop Button Favorites, a podcast of the website thestopbutton.com. My name is Andrew Wycliffe. My website is thestopbutton.com. And on this very special episode, I have Matthew Hurwitz returning. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my, my name is Matt and my website is now, uh, dot com. S I S S Y sissy laughs, L A F F S. That's something I've been working on since I used to podcast with, uh, Andrew and that was I, was the- tell- I was telling him when we got on Skype, like it, it's been close to a year now or no, it's been a little over a year now. Right. It has been a year and nine days. Yeah, and I literally feel like I was talking to you yesterday. <laughs> like, I, I, well, I, there's no distance involved whatsoever because, you know, we, <laughs> I don't know. We did this was, for seven years or whatever. It's like fitting, so. like slipping into an old shoe. It was, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, today we're going to be watching and talking about Batman Returns, which... You know, I, uh, obviously Batman was a recurring theme in the uh, in Alan Smithy podcast vernacular, but um, I, I think every time Batman Returns came up, we both talked. You know, had to say a quick word about how great it was. Yeah. So why did, why did you want to Why did you want to watch it? This is uh, this is a recommendation from uh, Philip O'Neill. Oh, that's uh, right, Phil. Yeah, yeah. he recommended. Well, hey, Phil. We hope hope you enjoy this. Because you've been waiting for it since what we we did the Batman commentary many many years ago too. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the Dark Knight uh, thrashing that was you know like three hours or something long or something, or maybe uh, four. It was it was really yeah, long. That was a real highlight in the history of the show, just for the amount of uh, you know hate mail it received. It it did it, get us all of our comments on iTunes, and they're all negative. I think to this day. I say hate mail like I opened the door and the letters just came flooding in. That's no, yeah, uh, yeah. It's less. Uh... Yeah, it, it's not. It was it was a high point for us because people paid attention to us even if they were uh, angry. Kind of like when Fred Decker got angry at you for your RoboCop three review. That's true. Fred Decker did get angry at me for RoboCop three. He also <laughs> got angry at me for Monster Squad. So we have to. <laughs> and you used to like that movie when you were a kid. I did like that movie when I was yeah. a kid, and it's just it is actually to know how to, to too young to know what homophobia was. That's cool. <laughs> You know, I watched it again over Thanksgiving um, yeah. with uh, my wife and my sister, who both, like, uh-huh. had these fond memories of it from childhood. <laughs> and I'm like, just wait. They're like, no, 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 it's good. Just, you know, we watched the Goonies, and then they were like, no, we want to watch Monster Squad. I'm like, you guys don't remember this correctly. Like, it's going to get really, like, uncomfortable, and you're going to feel bad that you're, like, sympathizing <laughs> with these shitty little bully kids. Like, <laughs> it's a pro-bullying movie. <laughs> Monsters are the ones being bullied by the Monster Squad. Yeah, it's really... It's a kid's movie written by Shane Black, which is to say it's a kid's movie written on Coke. Most likely. Oh, especially in the eighties. Can you even imagine? You know, like <laughs> it's a secret source of energy for a lot of those Goonies type uh, movies or Temple of Doom, if you will. That's when he just sold like, you know, lethal weapon. Oh, I'm sure it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um okay, well, hey, Batman returns. I didn't like prepare any any comments, but 
Uh, I know this movie pretty well inside out, so we'll just try to make it interesting with some trivia and some thoughts and just kind of a free-flowing discussion about superhero movies and Batman and how Batman Returns uh, fit into history. So um, we've you know both got our copies synced up here, and I guess we'll hit play on three, and we'll just kind of talk you through the Warner Brothers logo at first so you know you make sure you're more or less in sync with us. So, um, Andrew, how about on, th- on three? On three. Okay. One, two, three. And uh, Still logo, no logo fades in. Here we go, logo. Uh, background is fading into snow. And logo fades out. So that should help. Um, okay, so, you know, there's kind of a lot going on in this movie, you know, Tim Burton-wise, Batman-wise. Uh, this opening, I remember I remember a kid telling me before I saw this movie that you get to see the Penguin's parents in Batman Returns, which was just mind-blowing to me. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that on top of that, it would be his parents uh, trying to drown their infant son. So... This stuff like this is why McDonald's was upset. It, it is, ever, and it's, that never dawned kind of, on me. <laughs> it's kind of faint. It's kind of like, I guess the McDonald's deal was a really big deal at the time, and that's why, you know, they paid attention to a minor backlash, perhaps one or two irate parents calling in and complaining. But you. If you go on YouTube and search Batman Returns commercials, you'll find a ton of McDonald's commercials. Like, yeah, there was a Tiger handheld electronics Batman game and, you know, a couple of other items of nonsense. But the McDonald's thing was clearly heavily promoted. So it made a little more sense noticing that because, I guess, famously, yeah, uh, McDonald's was upset. (laughs) I keep saying that like it's a... A big deal, but apparently it was. Yeah, I was just at a McDonald's, and there were no movie tie-ins for the Avengers. It's just like that's <laughs> changed a lot. Yeah. Well, I, I assume. Well, no, I think Subway's got the Avengers license, which makes no sense to me. But yeah, you can't really well, get an action figure, or I'm sorry, a uh, remote control, or not a little matchbox cheap plastic matchbox car from Avengers movies like you could from this where you could get your Batmobile and the Happy Meal. Yeah. And you know what? Um, In the first Batman film, a lot of people get shot and there's, you know, some disfigurement of Jerry Hall and there's a couple of nasty things in Mm -hmm. it. I mean, I know more people got shot in the first Batman movie. Oh, than in this one, definitely, yeah. And and yet some people complain, oh, this one makes it too dark and and violent and, you know, inappropriate for kids. And I would say um, no more than the first one, but uh, you feel it more like... Because, well, this is a better film, you know, just overall, (laughs) the storytelling and everything. It's like clearly Tim Burton being more emotionally invested in what he's doing. And, you know, that's that's why I think you kind of feel the the nasty bits in this movie a bit more. Because first, Batman had nasty bits, but people kind of glossed over it because it was such a mainstream event. Uh, you know, I'm saying it, it evens out in the end as to which film, you know, the first one or the second one was quote-unquote darker. But clearly at the time, 
Yeah, because this movie, people talk about Batman Returns like it flopped or something. Like it, <laughs> right? It, it made what, it, like fifteen million less than the first one or something? Yeah, right. That was considered the failure <laughs> that it made that it made less than the first one, you know, or slightly less. It made like about as much, you know. Yeah, and you know, it's not a cheap movie. This movie by the time or adjusted for inflation today, you know, they spent a, a lot on it but you you see it all because tim burton's such a you know visual stylist and uh you know chris nolan just shoots in chicago fine i mean it's like <laughs> the first batman had a you know a a, a german product you know production designer who killed himself after winning the oscar and and you know in nolan movies they just shoot it in chicago okay <laughs> like why why create an unforgettable you know urban hellscape when you can just shoot in Chicago? Yeah, it's good. It's just a, it's a city, right? They're Gotham, all the same. What in Gotham yeah. City, Chicago City, both cities. Yeah, which is to say, yeah, obviously, I don't think much of the realistic production design because something like this, the lapse in logic, I guess, like. People people have problems with this movie too because they think the whole you know the story is silly and it is more fantastical than the storyline of the first one which you know hemmed very closely to like you know this gangster movie structure and this one is like a political movie structure but with these little Burton-esque details like we're supposed to believe that this kid survives this and is raised by penguins. Yeah, because penguins are able to, you know, nurse him. How did they get the basket open? Right. But, it, it's like these are these are easy things to pick on, but if you <laughs> do, you will be picking on things the entire movie and kind of miss the point. Like, there's a real beautiful kind of cartoon storytelling logic in live action through the whole film. Oh, look at that! <laughs> yep. Oh, we never had it so good. Okay. <laughs> and um, that is that's the one time you really get a reference to the way Gotham City looked in the first one. Otherwise, well, it's this new yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Batman 89 opens with a matte painting and the caption Gotham City. Of yeah. course, this is also telling us 33 years later about the, the Penguin Baby. Uh, can you – just seeing that made me think, wow, Burton's Batman Forever would have been good. <laughs> Yeah, Batman Forever stole the idea of these big, you know, muscle men statues, didn't it? Yeah, but it made them. It just made I mean, King Kong sized, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah King Kong sized across the whole sides of buildings. Oh, but you can. Oh, but you will. <laughs> um, much like oh. maybe even more so than the first Batman. Like the dialogue in this movie has real kind of comic book staccato to it, while still sounding you know, reasonably well-written, you know, it's, it's not, it's patter, you know, it's like real, yeah. especially like later on when we get to Keaton and Walken and, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer in the same room together. Um, but even here, it's, you know, it's brief. It's to the point we're reestablishing Gotham as like this kind of, I don't know, amalgamation of the 20th century and maybe even the 19th century because there's a newsboy and a scarf and a baker's boy cap and he's talking <laughs> papers. And that, that was the best thing about, you know, the the world of Gotham in both these movies was how it was this split between the 40s and the 80s 
or the 40s and 1992 in this right. sense. I guess you can't even say this. You know how it's like some movies come out in 90 or 91 and they still have the stench of the 80s all over them? Right. I think by 92 or by the first couple of years in the, into a decade, like that, that should be over. style yeah. starts to assert itself. And this is in that sense, this is like a really nineties movie in every regard, but also in terms of like just having really great, uh, practical and special and mechanical effects uh, right before CG took over. Yeah. Or I guess was... like right around the time, like, you know, T- uh, Terminator two had already come out a year before this. Yeah, except 94 and 95. But this is the year before Jurassic Park, so it's yeah. kind of like right there in the middle. And the only CG in this is like, what, a few CG bats? <laughs> like like the ones we saw at the opening? Yeah, and those are practically more animated. Yeah. The big deal with this was they were using uh, robotic penguins, which we'll see later, who the regular... A combination of robotic yeah. penguins and like little people in, in, co- in uh, costumes, yeah. And real penguins. For another sequence of, you know, total cartoon logic absurdity, an army of penguins launching rockets. Or, anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Um, Chris Walken, he's great in this. He's really funny. But if there is one legitimate criticism of this movie, it is that, you know, they should have just... If they're going to have two villains instead of one, like, why complicate it even further? Right. Like, this, this corporate villain in between. It's funny. It's like the the first Batman. Um, if you ever read the Sam Ham script, it's pretty readily available online. Um, it has a it gives a lot more time to developing a supporting cast of Batman. You know, characters like Harvey Dent. You know, who's just kind of there in the first one. Um, in this one, like Sam Sam Ham's original idea in this one was like you know to bring Vicky Vale back and kind of have her and Batman and Robin end up as like a family unit by the end, and the villains were still Penguin and Catwoman. And yeah, uh, I didn't know if you had cut out. Or not. <laughs> no, no, I just uh, I was just thinking about how I've been meaning to read that and I never have. I, I downloaded it and I was like, how did they fit Vicky Vale into this? Because it really doesn't make any sense and yeah i think daniel waters came in then and fixed it all yeah and and actually like daniel waters then script if you read that like it's practically batman forever like it is really jokey really campy but it still has like you know the whole revision of the story just getting it down to like penguin and catwoman and shrek and batman and the, and there's a scene there's one scene to introduce robin you know that they dropped and didn't even film so, some I don't know, somehow in the middle or, God, maybe Wesley Strict uh, tightened it up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Except that in, in interviews, Daniel Waters, like, says that it was Wesley. He points out the, that line where uh, Alfred suggests that he watches something with, you know, more class, like the love connection uh-huh. at the Penguins news conference. Yeah, Daniel Waters is like, that was Wesley Strict. Like, don't blame that. Don't pin that on me. <laughs> that line. <laughs> So that's that's all we know about you know how it broke down beyond that. So yeah, um, we're about to meet the Red Triangle Circus Gang pretty soon, and you're going to see and, Batman kill someone. Well, yeah, let, let's get to that when okay. it happens. I just want to uh. say about the Red Triangle Circus Gang, like 
it's it's a little bit of a leap of tone from the first movie where the Joker's goons are just goons. And yet, I don't remember... People barely even point out that, like, from the first movie to the second movie, you now have costumed goons the way you... But but it's some maybe it's something people didn't notice because subconsciously they accept that a Batman movie should have costumes. Right. It's like the goons should wear costumes that resemble their, uh, their leader. And in this, they're a circus, and, like, there's a throwaway line of dialogue later where the circus gang was a real circus that Oswald, baby Oswald was with. And it's just like, where's that movie where <laughs> he rose up in the circus and then like convinces the entire circus to become uh, murderous marauding maniacs here on motorcycles. It's a really disturbing idea. The more you think about it, like a bunch of entertainers, a bunch right. of clowns, clowns and jugglers who, who, you know, their purpose in life was to make people laugh. Like, look at them now. <laughs> look at Vincent Schiavelli and his organ grinding, you know, chain gun now. So, I think it's easy to imagine children being upset by, uh, you know, this organ grinder mowing down yeah. the Christmas tree if they weren't already upset by the you know, murder of a child by his parents. So that's legit too. But on the other hand, who cares? Like you say, you want a Batman movie for adults. This is it. I remember the mansion. Um, I was upset that they didn't use the same one as the first one, but then you couldn't have gotten this amazing shot. Yeah. This makes no sense. Of course this, I think this bothered people too. (laughs) They were like, how does everybody not know he's Batman? Considering he has, you know, Batman bat signals at home. This movie is just one long list of it doesn't make any sense if you think about it, but it's cool. In and, some ways, <clears throat> yeah. In some ways, I feel like this is the one where this is more of the Burton accepting it and selling it uh, sort of holistically, like the '66 series, just in terms of yeah. There's yeah. so much uh. stuff. Yeah, well, even, like, I don't know, the Penguin and Catwoman, there's a little bit of the 66 in both of them. Yeah. It's just that you barely recognize it or stop to think about it because it's it's being filtered through such a, such a twisted sensibility. Well, I mean, you remember Burton's sketches for the Penguin. Those were awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, I love how he's not giving a money shot on the Batmobile. Like you could care less. It's so funny. <laughs> well, uh, you think of it this way: it's like he's got two hours, and he's got a really complicated, convoluted story. There's not an ounce of fat on this movie. No. Like even the uh, even even when Batman, there's only one other like major kind of fight sequence with some goons. There's this one, and then there's one later. But even the one later, it's not gratuitous like the way in the first Batman, right? They're, they're driving away from the museum and, like, he's just conveniently blocked so they jump out of the Batmobile. And that, that, that's gratuitous. I love the surprise this is on such Michael good Keaton's too, face. Compared to, yeah. like, any, compared to anything that was in it. Because it's kind of like Burton just directing, quote-unquote, action scenes as, you know, his usual cartoon right. logic sensibilities. It's like action scenes, you know, vis-a-vis uh, Beetlejuice or something. 
Because, I mean, God, between this and the first Batman, he never did, well, you know, now he does, I guess. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, now most of his movies are mostly comprised of action. If he did it Edward Scissorhands now, there would be so many scenes where Edward Scissorhands fights dudes. <laughs> uh, but back then, Batman was his only action character. Yeah, clown. <laughs> it's, but, you, like, it's just funny now, like, just because of how horrible it is. Like, a clown with a taser yelling in this woman's face. <laughs> it's, it's upsetting for children. Well, it's so... I mean, they're previous... And I'm not, I'm not just saying that either. I mean, like, uh, the image, clowns and children abandoning their parents are kind of... Uh, or parents abandoning their children are kind of things that go right to the core of a child's trauma center. <laughs> oh, I just love that set. Did you just look at the the wall... Yeah. Burton's production design back before you could just gloss it all over with CG was just so amazing. Here's another sweet thing that doesn't make any sense. Batman is strong enough to pull a chunk of wall out. <laughs> Again, well, doesn't make sense the more you think about it, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's just so good. <laughs> it's kind of, and you know what's odd too, is it's like you wouldn't, Okay, if you were reading a Batman comic and he did that, you'd call bullshit. Unless it was just, uh, like, a brick or something. <laughs> but even then, it would be like, what, the one unnecessary brick in the building? <laughs> but he just made, you know, Burton just makes it work here. Well, he's, he's, I love the way that now, like, we had, Bat, we had uh, Keaton sort of doing eye acting in the car, you know, you were getting a sense of him, but now he's removed from everything and you're seeing yeah, him he's from the go other away perspective. For, he's going to go away for a while now. And, you know, it's interesting when you hear Keaton do interviews about this movie, he says like, you know, I felt weird about doing a sequel. I felt like I'd be doing a caricature of, you know, my performance from the first movie and stuff. So, and yet to be so integral to this and yet, to not to be because I suppose when Batman Returns came out, it was taken as a given that Michael Keaton would be Batman again. And right. yet you never hear people say about Batman Returns that a problem with it was that there wasn't enough Keaton, but that actually would be a valid criticism. Again, it's like you got Christopher Walken here doing scenes with the penguin where you, you know, maybe could have had more time for Keaton. Like that's a valid criticism, but nobody ever even makes it. The scene uh, definitely had had me pretty weirded out by the time I saw it. And I love how the Penguin gets a really good reveal, which Batman didn't, even though he had a new costume that everybody made a big deal out of. And well, that's stuff something like I that. wanted. To, yeah, the costume is only slightly more kind of vulcanized from uh, the original. Yeah. Like it's less, it's more armor, less uh, sculpted musculature. But right. you raise an interesting point, which is that. This movie almost takes for granted that there's going to be Batman movies in the future. It's sort of aware of that, and I think because it is, it then goes, let's not spend that, that much time with Batman. Let's, you know, enjoy these villains' company who we only have for, for one For movie. one movie, right. And that's why the villains get more time. Um, you know, Burton would defend the first Batman, and he'd say, like... 
Nicholson doesn't have that much more screen time than than uh, Batman, and it's good that Batman doesn't have as much screen time because he's mysterious. <laughs> and that kind of works to an extent with this one, except that kind of by nature of this follow-up movie, Batman's not as mysterious, which is why it's great to see his scenes later with um, Pfeiffer and stuff. But, like, yeah, Michael Keaton gets... Real better scenes in this one. Oh, to be much better. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah than uh, the first one, um, and maybe not as good scenes where he's Batman. I guess that's maybe the trade-off. But um, well, I know I said it during our commentary of the Batman '89 uh, because I always think it when I watch it is that scene at the end where he and uh, Nicholson are bantering at the cathedral. You just see the promise of what could have been. But wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, otherworldly. I think is the uh, word you used in your stop button review. Um, yeah, and Batman, and by that turn, Batman Returns is uh, otherworldly from the start, isn't right. it? Right. I guess that's the thing. It's like you know the the '40s '80s split. Batman, the first one, is very much a movie of the '80s. It has all these little. Detail, period details that clue you in, even though they were trying really hard to make something timeless, and they succeeded to a really large uh, extent. Batman Returns, though, even more so. This is really like, you know, it's the latter half of the 20th century, and oh, oh that's right, Batman scratches a CD at the end like he's scratching a record. Uh, <laughs> maybe and you've got these criticism. costumes that are out of the... You look at Shrek's costume and I don't know. I'd say fifties, maybe sixties. Yet he he's in a thirties office. Yeah, it's. And to be clear, you're talking about um, um, Christopher Walken's character, and yes. not the other. Okay. Yeah. With his fur uh, on the. Uh... Yeah, yeah, like the Rockefeller, uh, almost displaced in time. I uh, just can't. Bel- yeah. <laughs> Green nuclear waste slime. There's a 1992 uh, touchstone, I guess. Kind of, you know, evocative of the Ninja Turtles, not to mention the penguin living in the sewers. Well, this one didn't have any comic book references in the same way yeah. the first one. There was no Corto Maltese reference, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Um Although Daniel Waters' uh, original script was so campy, it actually ends with two Red Triangle Circus Gang members saying that they hear that the Riddler, the Riddler is hiring. <laughs> that's real. That's how far. That's how far in that direction it was. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, this is something to talk about. The Penguin boy, all the way up until this movie, the Penguin had pretty much been depicted as he had been. Like when he was originally conceived in the 40s or 50s, right? Yeah. And this movie changed the Penguin's character design. Um, he was certainly fat forevermore, for one thing. Um, but also allowed to be a little bit more disfigured and freakish. And people criticized Burton for this, despite the fact that the Batman's rogue gallery is, you know, nothing but a cavalcade of circus freaks. So. What was wrong with, uh, ex- you know, extending the Penguin's uh, freakish characteristics? Right. And I mean, and even, re- 
Yeah. Well, he's the the Penguins, the linchpin of that Gotham series at this point. So, yeah, and uh, I want to talk about Gotham real briefly. It's crap. It's <laughs> still better than Nolan movies. Wow. <laughs> you, you know, I can I can explain why really simply. Um, it's trying to be half Burton, half Nolan. Okay. Which is, which is still better than trying to be all Nolan. <laughs> So, does this fem- does does Daniel Waters' characterization of you know a feminist Avenger as Catwoman like does that does that ring true to you? Because I can like I you know you you meet so many girls who say like oh I loved Catwoman and Batman Returns like she was so you know sexy and badass and everything so like they clearly struck the right tone with her. I guess maybe it's just this coming into my apartment and talking out loud <laughs> through everything uh, scene that feels a little sitcomish, perhaps. But Michelle Pfeiffer is genuinely frightening later on, so you really believe the character, if nothing else. Well, it's also very weird because she has this very, yes, uh, it's like a depressing sitcom apartment, like a Fox Every- sitcom from the late 80s. It's like the apartment from a racer head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, I wonder what this would look like in black and white. But and then you have Michelle Pfeiffer on the answering machine with that guy having like a what is it, a ski date? And it's like you can't even imagine it in her I know, like he he doesn't want to bang Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay. <laughs> she's not quite she's not quite believable as the mousy put upon secretary. Let's just put it that way. You know, which is a minor quibble because obviously she doesn't stay that way for long. Um, you know, this always, yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this whole, uh, way of getting her out of there is lame, but that, that shot of her apartment, Burton knows how to shoot his sets more than anybody. You know that he just loves the set when he's got it right. And he just loves shooting it. Look at the way he sets up this stupid chihuahua on the side (laughs) Oh, yes, Pepe. I guess it was your Chihuahua's name. Um, you know, they kind of get, I mean, they really don't waste any time. Look, she's already about to get thrown out the window here. Um, well, we're 25 yeah. minutes in. It doesn't seem like that at all. Um, like, we're almost a third or, what, a fourth of the way into this movie. It really does not feel like that. They they really worked it fast. The, Which is no... Yeah. Yeah, there's no this <laughs> no fat on this one. It's all lean, and at, to, you know to do that at like ninety minutes with RoboCop or something is amazing. But to do it at two hours mm-hmm. is like really something else. Especially with the first one had all the you know sorry to call call Robert Wolf fat, but he was pretty. <laughs> he was sort of the chub around the uh, that movie. There's no Robert Wall in Batman Returns, is what you're no. saying. No, uh, there's and there's no equivalent. Well, uh, remind yeah. me when we get to the campaign yeah. office. That's the fattiest this movie gets. Oh, but I love that scene. Um, but right, but it, it is really, the fattiest. Yeah, sure. They really <laughs> give Michelle Pfeiffer the kind of I don't know the little mini arc of the transform the transformative arc that. Nicholson gets in the first one because they're like, you know, all right, well, the penguin is the penguin at the start of the movie, but, you know, we want to 
it's like giving yeah giving that big actors <laughs> that big actor you know set piece to uh to your big name really because she's going to go through this whole thing you know if you've seen this movie before of course you have it's batman returns what are you doing listening to us <laughs> uh, yeah and again it's like completely illogical that she would survive the fall etc but it's you know burden sells it and this is, this is a real jump moment too. It's like Christopher, scary Christopher Walken is scaring this is uh, staring this poor woman down. It's intense. Uh, Chris Walken uh, could have made a great Rupert Thorne, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow, I'd never it's like even they almost of that. could have written yeah. this guy, Rupert Thorne, but not quite. Again, like you said, they're not using the comic as touchstones. Um, I mean, certainly this origin for Catwoman is a creation of the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's just okay. The canopies slowed yeah. the fall. I'm sure. Yes. We've been telling stories. ourselves that since we saw it the first time. <laughs> and, you know, somebody was like, it doesn't make any sense that she lived. And then, you know, she gets eaten by cats, which cats actually, you know, kind of probably would do that. But... <laughs> they wouldn't they wouldn't be happy when she came back to life. They'd be upset that they lost their meal. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene of um or there's a shot of a uh, cat really chewing hardcore on her fingers at one yeah. point. This makes me wince. <laughs> Cuz cat's teeth are really sharp. And and I mean, in some ways I guess that figures into the whole TV show logic for me is that we're not dealing with Batman as some kind of comic book adaptation. We're dealing with it as the cultural uh, icon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it. And in some ways, you can even equate that to how. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it hurts her so much; seizures. it brings her back to life. You know, like. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that cute little meow to end it. Yeah, we've yeah. totally lost Batman, you know? <laughs> like, No kidding, yeah. I, I will say this, though, and I noticed this last time I saw this movie. It's like, this is the longest he's gone. Like, once is, he comes yeah. back, then you don't have to wait, like, more than a couple of scenes before he's back again. No, this is just, yeah, they're just... But this is all, yeah, this is all necessary, like, as quickly and efficiently and as, you know, entertainingly as possible, setting up the setting up two villains. I mean, you think about the first Batman, they, what, Nicholson is Joker by the half-hour mark? Yeah, I More think so. That's right. Yeah. Like, it's pretty tight, too. So, yeah, we're at about the half-an-hour mark now, and... You know, she's going to chew the scenery a bit, but then once that's done, then we're we're in business. We got the villains, and we got Batman. Uh, she drinks milk because she likes. She's like a cat woman. <laughs> <laughs> a cat. Whoa, this cat woman, Selena Kyle. <laughs> you should have done the whole commentary as Christopher Walken. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, the fake Christopher Walken commentary. I didn't even know what I was doing with this scene. That's terrible. I just don't. Oh, uh, I love how. Okay, so she's got a answering machine and then the rotary dial phone. Oh, I never noticed that. Yeah. 
Her refrigerator looks very 40s. Um, oh, this is that Japan Sock Monkey? Kid. Did she just put Sock Monkey down the... T- uh... Yeah, this scene really disturbed me as a child, seeing her uh, stab her stuffed animals into the garbage disposal like that. And yeah. she smashes the place, you know. It, it's, well, God, it's a real character uh, moment, isn't it? And they're not, you know, notice how, like, Burton's not even really, like, that crazy with the camera. He doesn't no. move it all over the place. Um, no, he really just lets... These are his his Batman's were much more actors uh, movies than anything that came afterwards. Yeah, and he gives you enough because, um, of course, you know she finds the leather jacket, and what's the first thing she's going to do is become <laughs> a you know. Yeah, well, there's you know, uh, what I what I often say about comparing the first one, but also this one with the Nolan movies is that these ones have poetry to them Mm. and they really, they're in touch with their feelings. If you will, (laughs) they want you to empathize with all the characters. Um, no, really period. And, uh, yeah, they're much more about seeing actors play off of each other. So she makes her costume (laughs) and, um, Allegedly, uh, you know, well, you know what, character, uh, the Catwoman, kind of, there, it was kind of a mini phenomena within, or there wasn't really as much of a Batman Returns hype as there was for Catwoman in a way. I don't know if people really cared that much about uh, Danny DeVito as the no, Penguin, except yeah. that it was maybe a foregone conclusion that that actor would be cast as the Penguin. <laughs> But this was a big thing, like, who's going to play Catwoman? And um, uh, Sean Young famously, like, came to Warner Brothers' lot dressed in a crappy Catwoman costume as a publicity stunt. And, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, she was obviously, you know, she's never really gone away. But this is certainly kind of the height of her stardom, I would think. This, I mean, it was was Annette Bening before this. and. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was not as big as Michelle Pfeiffer was at this point. So I mean this was yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like the role Madonna wanted to play in Dick Tracy <laughs> as far as like being a, you know, dangerous femme fatale blonde. It's funny it's like Dan Waters would he, he like he's criticized Sam Hamm's original script as turning Catwoman into just a sex object, but like she's so sexualized in this movie. But I guess it's offset by her independence and her dangerousness. Because in the Sam Hamm script, like, she's stealing jewels. It's the it's the cat burglar <laughs> uh, motif. Which is, you know, pretty much what the comics hem, you know, hew to. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, they had it before this and after this. And, yeah, they never it, That's right. Far. This is kind of unique to, yeah, Batman lore and mythos that she's, like, just kind of like Batman, a crazy person who's compelled to go out and right wrongs as she sees them, which might include, uh, you know, blowing up a department store. (laughs) This moment has kind of annoyed me just because, like, he's going up on the duck platform and then 
he's not on the duck when he comes out. And it's kind of like they're revealing the duck too early. <laughs> they're just like, hey, look at this thing. Like, you're not going to see it again until the end of the movie, but yeah. <laughs> isn't that neat? Um, oh, well. Ah, the hats. Remember back in 92 when people dressed like this? Yep. It's not... Uh, when it, winter time, of course. Winter of clothes. Of course. Well, what was it? Kennedy not wearing a hat is what killed them in the 60s? Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Was that Burton's idea or was that his costume designers, I wonder? What, for the, the first hats? one? No, the uh, hats. Oh, um... Well, I don't know. I've seen, uh, you know, Bob Ringwood drawings of the gangsters, and they've got their fedoras and everything. Okay. I don't know whose idea it was. This was a big screen TV in 1992. Yeah, the last time I watched it, I was looking at it going, wow, that's just terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Batman's TV is so small, and his fireplace is so large. I don't understand. Uh, Just look at this Keaton intensity. He's like a silent movie actor in, in these two. Like, he doesn't need a lot of dialogue. You know, the people who made Batman and Batman Returns expected their audience to be able to pick up on subtext and inference. And if this were a Nolan movie, there would be, like, a huge exchange between Batman, between Bruce and Alfred about how he and the Penguin are alike because they're both orphans. Sometimes... (laughs) And then they'd go on to say, like, you know, sometimes orphans can turn to the light side and sometimes orphans can pursue vengeance. And well, no, because it's, it's... Here they don't. Here they just let you look at Keaton. And, <laughs> and you the get, Christmas you get tree. Yeah, it's... And he says, you know, oh, uh, this guy's parents. I hope he finds them. <laughs> you get it. Yeah, I mean, it's he, just... Uh... This whole thing, okay, in the Hall of Records, and then he's going to creep by in the Batmobile spying on him. Um, it's a really long way to go to set up this thing at the end of the Penguin kidnapping Gotham's children. <laughs> Just so grotesque and like, okay, here at this point you don't know that yet. But, okay, so, yeah, I, I forget sometimes because you, you see the movie so many times, but it's like then we see... Batman in his car saying, I think he knows who his parents are. And it's a really, you know, sinister insinuation. I mean, maybe even at this point in the movie, you could kind of guess that this might be what the Penguin's doing. He doesn't look, uh, you know, he, he's up to something. Look at him with his fucking quill. <laughs> and his really, really good handwriting, surprisingly, for being raised in the sewers. Well, I mean, if he learned how to write with a quill, why bother doing that if you're not going to write well? Really great bat to uh, back action yep. here. Not gratuitous. He could have Burton could have cared less. I mean, he barely shows the back cave in the first movie either. Um, right, he's reading the newspaper articles. This is another thing that used to exist. Microfiche. <laughs> How much do you love these like octagonal frames that he's that he's rocking? <laughs> Oh, I, I think I talked about it on the last commentary. When I was a kid, I wanted the uh, Batman glasses and never could uh, get them from the first one. I don't think I ever wanted these, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he doesn't know that Vichy Soir is supposed to be cold because, you know, he's too busy being Batman to understand the class expectations of being rich. It's like why he sat across the table from Kim Basinger in the first one. <laughs> Advancing ice alters ecology of Alaska town. Now, like, yeah. <laughs> in, in any other comic book movie made since, there'd be an article about Metropolis, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People, why can't you just be happy with this is why Superman works alone? <laughs> they weren't trying. They, were, they, they didn't give a shit about trying to build a universe back then. They were just like, yeah, fuck it. If, if Ben Affleck has any sense of humor, that line will be in that fucking movie. <laughs> um, we see a lot more of the Batmobile in this one than uh, than the first one, for sure. I mean, it's practically is gets as much screen time as Batman. And if you look at those YouTube McDonald's Batman Returns commercials, yes, many of them involve the Batman drive uh, Batmobile driving to and from a McDonald's, you know, towards the Golden well, Arches. I mean. He gets hungry. Oh, God. And then Batman Forever opens with the line about I'll get drive through It's like this whole fast food subtext throughout the whole franchise. Yeah, just, <laughs> just scopes him out. That's a great little scene because you just get to see Batman not necessarily having to go out and fight. It just shows him prowling the streets. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, street crime left in Gotham at this point. Yeah. So here's, you know, we're veering way back into gothic Tim Burton territory here, <laughs> visiting a graveyard. Well, in a Tim Burton movie, a graveyard. What a surprise. And this scene just kind of goes, doesn't it? I mean, talking again about actorly moments, but it's got this great, you know, it's got this great layer of the penguin just putting on a show for the for the crowd. Like, the characterization of the Penguin, let's talk about that again. I mean, he's not pompous. He's not exactly arrogant. He's more just driven by resentment and, and, well, I don't know. But he does does have entitlement. Yeah, that's the word. (laughs) Rage and entitlement. Um as opposed to, say, the Joker, who's just, you know, this anarchic clown. Um, yeah, Penguin's, it's a really fully formed characterization of a villain. And, you know, just period, as far as movie villains go. And you can almost talk about him as an original compared to the comics, because really they just borrowed a few visual motifs. You know, the umbrella. Um, and the top hat, and that's about hat. it. Yeah. I mean, even... In the you know in the comics, okay, the penguin had a love of birds, but it wasn't specifically penguins, and he didn't need to specifically have penguins around him, like when he's just hanging out. <laughs> let let alone that is let alone that he's you know a miscast from society freak who has to hide underground in an abandoned uh, ar- in the in the abandoned Arctic world section of the Gotham Zoo. Like Gotham City is just going to let this zoo languish. <laughs> So that derelicts can uh, can live there, like this one. <laughs> let, let alone for like what thirty three years was it abandoned at the beginning? 
or was no. he by the circus that used to be at the zoo? But they're two different things. I, yeah. By the way, imagine being eight years old and trying to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of that was kind of the magical thing about this movie it was like it does all these leaps of logic that I think children are much easier with and yet they're doing them to craft this utterly you know uh grim you know the two m's kind of story okay here we go now i mean what i love is that your villain here is a very standard 90s villain though he's Mm. not in a fedora or anything he's not a gangster he's just a yeah that's that's true i never noticed that it's kind of like so much of the movie is stylized to the past. It's telling where uh, where they modernize it. Okay, so note from uh, from the studio uh, to Tim. Um, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> slashing the guy's face into tic tac toe and like actually getting to see the blood run down it a little—it's a little much. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and she knows, you know, she's a kung fu master now. Just go with it. Okay, Bruce, Bruce Wayne again. So, doing work. <clears throat> yeah, that's a, that's a cool thing too. Getting to see him as a businessman in this one, as opposed to the first one, where it's like, what do you do for a living? Well, you know, I'm involved in. Uh... <laughs> and so, just here's, uh, yeah, here's him and walking, going at it. Um, there's a, like a, a minute from now he says like, I, you know, I think that, um, uh, or Cobblepot's connected to the circus gang. I can't prove it yet. <laughs> like it's, it's a little bit of a lapse in judgment to say that he's, he'd be even be working on such a thing. Right. But I don't know, perhaps as a, you know, respected member of the community and an influential businessman like Shrek who's involved in city halls, goings-on and stuff. You could kind of buy it. It's not that strange. doesn't exactly scream, I'm Batman, but... And, well, that's very different between this one and the subsequent ones. Is You never get the feeling people actually wonder who Batman is. Yeah, that's true. Um... I guess in the first one, it's, you know, it's a bit of a to-do, but it's funny how in the first one, like, the plot itself centers around the idea that nobody in Gotham knows who Batman is yet, and in this one, they've totally come to accept him to the point right. it's blasé, yeah. You, it's almost like... There were three years between this movie and the first one. It's kind of like three years actually passed in, in Batman's world in these movies. And Gotham is three years into Batman and just kind of over it. So, I don't know. This dialogue's a little cheesy. <laughs> That's my name, Maximilians. Don't wear it out. But you've got anymore. Keaton with that dumb look on his face. <laughs> so you, can't, you, can't, you can't really complain too much because that's just uh-huh. perfect. And I guess they were dating at the time, and uh, yeah, it's I guess one of those instances of uh, an off-screen romance, uh, you know, serving a non-screen one. 
because they do have they've had, they have such a weird chemistry in this movie, but they really do have chemistry as opposed yeah. to like any other Batman movie with the, with female leads, whether it's you know, whether it's Nicole Kidman or, or Maggie Gyllenhaal, like it doesn't matter. Or Elle McPherson, yeah, I mean they're they're interchangeable. <clears throat> yeah, but here they really do it, and it's justified because it's Catwoman. <laughs> it's the one, it's the one chick that Batman is supposed to maybe be able to hook up with, right? Oh. <laughs> that's that's very nineties Daniel Watersy kind of writing there. <laughs> He's dead now. It's like a line that could have been in uh Adam's family values. Do, do you think in somebody's mind Christopher Walken at this point was supposed to be interested in her? Um I don't I never took it that way. I don't either, but I'm just wondering, like, if you saw it now, it would be. Chip. It's my son, Chip. (laughs) (laughs) Dad, the the lighting of the tray. So, yeah. Um, Michael Keaton is like, uh, have you ever, ever heard a girl say that Michael Keaton is handsome? Nope. Exactly. (laughs) But... You can you can kind of buy that uh, you know he'd get with Michelle Pfeiffer, um, and there's something about her and him as opposed to like you know Vicky Vale where right. it's just like yeah he's rich but she's she's in love with him really because he's that great a guy even though he's treated her like shit throughout the whole movie <laughs> she's in she's in love with him so it's okay that they slept on the first date it's like God at least uh, you know. Uh, well, the the flirtation uh, process is a little more believable in this one. Oh, and also their relationship is totally screwed anyway because they don't know each other's secret identities. Ha ha. <laughs> Look at the focus on this one. Oh. I know. It's like, it might be a we, shot. You can see a we, little bit of blurredness like yeah. right in the center along his book. We do that with CGI now. Why, bo- <laughs> okay. why bother using lenses? Uh, Penguin's Lair looking very Edward Scissorhands-y with like the the slats uh, and the uh, oh, yeah those cur- those um, Venetian blinds that are just yeah. so I'm going to justify the Penguin some more from all the haters um, <laughs> Burton got that Batman villains are drawn from horror, the horror genre, the way that Batman himself is a version of Dracula. And, you know, the Joker is the man who laughs and two faces Jekyll and Hyde. Um, Catwoman is, I don't know, a cat woman, cat people. <laughs> She's a cat person. Um, the Penguin is kind of cut from the hunchback of Notre Dame cloth, but. I really like the kind of Dickensian spin as his motivation that he wants, you know, if he if he can't get his wealth and status back, then he's going to take it out on society. That's just <laughs> this thing. It feels real, too. It's not He's not just the Joker who's committing crime because it's fun and he's crazy. I think that's why, too, when, you, when I see... Penguin enjoying himself in this movie. I really feel good for him because <laughs> he's had a hard life. He has had a miserable life. Um. <laughs> I know. So, so even when he's just like 
doing horrible things and cackling, you, I think it's hard not to feel good <laughs> for him a little bit. So this scene you said was the one that was a little fatty, and are you referring to Jan Hooks here and and the other and guy? Skip, <laughs> and Skip yeah. from whatever show that is, yeah. <clears throat> Family ties, maybe. And I don't mind it. It's a good bit of fat. And I mean, in '92, it was exciting that Jan Hooks was going to be in this. Um, yeah, she's really funny. Yeah. Uh, probably best known to people these days as uh, the tour guide at the Alamo in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Which is kind of scary. No basement. <laughs> yeah. Since she was like the only woman on Saturday Night Live for three or four years. It's a similar character. Okay, so, Tim, does the penguin have to bite the guy's nose off? I mean... <laughs> there were no notes. There couldn't have been. There couldn't have been a single note on this movie. Well, right, because then maybe this stuff wouldn't have gotten in there. <laughs> oh, and they... <laughs> oh, with he, ling- the, I mean, he lingers on that oh, shot with of the, the blood. blood yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> Let's make him there. That's tougher than anything in the Dark Knight. You know what? No that's, shit. That's right? tougher than the pen. How much? How much? How much blood did you see with the pencil trick? Look at that! It's just streaming down his face. He looks like <laughs> he looks like a uh, he looks like a differently abled person who's in a dentist's chair, and there's just blood everywhere because he never brushes and his gums are all puffy. Anyways. Oh, yeah, the French flipper trick. Let's throw in a sexual reference with a deformed hand. I was actually it's, just reading that... It's just the, stunning the more you pick it apart. There's a there's a dead fish in the middle of the frame. <laughs> that the... Um, this is like a Larry Cohen movie. It's, he's like an It's Alive baby that grew up. <laughs> uh, I just actually read that all the sexual references with Catwoman was one of the problems with this movie at the time. And I was like, really? I didn't actually pick up on that. And I was only 14. And you'd think that would have been the right age to hear people complain about that. But yeah, the French flipper trick, that was a intelligent innuendo has sort of gone out the window now that we have just, you know, (laughs) yeah. Now you just say he was going to finger pop her <laughs> with his deformed flippers. Yeah, reclaim my birth. Oh, oh God, he's referencing the Gulf of Tonkin and the Reichstag fire. Like <laughs> the the cultural literacy and the historical knowledge that this movie assumes of its audience. Like you thought, I thought people were dumb in 1992. <laughs> It's a down. Well, okay. Look, this movie. This movie. (laughs) This movie assumes that its audience is intelligent. I'll just say that. (laughs) Let's leave it at that. Let's not extol the virtues of 1992 that much. (laughs) It wasn't like it wasn't like this magical golden moment in cultural history or anything. I believe Wayne's World Two came out that year as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 92. I mean, God, this is the year of Alien 3. I mean, you still had this kind of mentality left over from the 80s that successful movies can just be sequelized ad infinitum. And um, I think Batman was maybe like one, maybe one of one or two franchises, quote unquote, that 
actually had movies made periodically within a three or four year period every few right. years. Three even years. successful, com- even successful comedies. I mean, they didn't, you know, roll out with uh, Austin Powers two right away. It was like three years later or something. Anyways, yeah, that's that's my point. People, again, it's like people. There's no well, way that Batman Returns could have bombed hard enough for them not to make Batman three, is there? I mean, unless it, unless it was just like a you know, disaster. There was no chance sanity. it would. Yeah, I yeah, mean, there, there was, no, was chance. no chance. There was just no chance. So, yeah, Tim, just do whatever you want. <laughs> It'll be fine. <clears throat> but the, I guess, but that wouldn't even happen today, would it? I mean, maybe with something like I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for a comparison. I'm thinking like what Guardians of the Galaxy, because nobody knew the comic before this one writer director made this movie, so they might let him, you know, right. Have, or uh, creative control on the second one, but I don't know. Uh, Here so, we go. Yeah, this is one of those. I know we've talked about this about you know regarding Burton before, but this is like one of those rare times he had a huge budget and total total creative control. This might have been kind of the peak of that in terms of like the peak of his skills and the size of his budget. Unless Mars Attacks costs more than this, I don't know. It might have. <laughs> Why? Why the hell did they let him make that? Because Ed Wood. <laughs> I guess, yeah. What the hell it's were like, they thinking? <laughs> Ed, Ed Wood didn't make any money. <laughs> no, what the hell were they thinking? It got a lot of great reviews, but it didn't make any money. Nobody went to see a black and white movie. So, Catwoman, pretty fetishized object here, um, and yet. And, you know, you're more well-read in Batman comics than I am. Would you say that she's characterized a bit more dangerously than she is in the comics? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the comics in the 80s, she was a cat burglar. Yeah. And then there was the the Frank Miller revamp of her. But that had gone away by the 90s. Um, She was a busty dimwit by the 90s. Speaking of Ed Ed Wood, look at these guards. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they just walked off the set of Plan 9, I guess. <laughs> yeah, even just uh, <clears throat> whipping people is such a violent act, and to make it her uh, accessory. And that was something that uh, was integrated into the the imagery of Batman after this movie, right? Catwoman having a whip? Uh, I'm not sure on that. Okay, maybe they didn't keep Here it around for go. too long. <clears throat> But this is but this is like Looney Tunes. <laughs> like, how could you get upset at this? It's, nobody it's, did. I don't think people Sam got the, upset at Batman that. I think, like, <laughs> right? Nobody did exactly. That and wasn't one of the complaint points. Yeah, one of the interesting like, things is you have Michelle Pfeiffer in this yeah. incredibly skin tight outfit, and Burton never once thinks to objectify her. That is so true, right? It's just like it never occurs to him. There's no butt shot. There's a fucking nope. butt shot of April O'Neil in the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles movie. And well, there's Bert a butt shot of Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They made up for the they made up the butt shot quota in the, in the next two movies. So here's a great patter. <laughs> here's a little. Here's a little of that uh, Keaton and Nicholson in the uh, yeah. church tower flavor. Because it's very short, very staccato, and yet filled with subtext. 
and they their conversation lasts about as long as uh, it would in a comic book, or yeah. you know maybe not, but it's believable. I mean, in a movie that's not real in any sense whatsoever, it's like they don't stand here and have this whole long dialogue scene. They just exchange threats. It keeps moving. And then Catwoman comes in. Mm-hmm. And it just works. <laughs> they both don't know what to say. When did they stop having actors in costumes act? I mean, like, you had it with Keaton oh, before. probably around the time of X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, Michelle Pfeiffer right there, she's out of breath, you know? she You mm. can see her thinking. Uh, when did people stop caring about this? Is it really X-Men? Well, this is the thing, too, is, like, at the time of Batman Returns and even throughout the whole decade of the 90s, superhero movies were not a real subgenre. You could count the number of superhero movies throughout the history on, on like, you know, no more than two hands. So, yeah, it wasn't playing by those kinds of rules. Um, And I guess if, you know, it's kind of like there's no... You know, world world building is a very right. popular phrase in fiction, and Batman Returns and even Batman to an extent doesn't have much. Batman the first one does do some conscious world building. I mean, they you know they introduce Harvey Dent so that presumably he can come back in a future movie as Two Face, but Batman Returns just kind of tells you what you need to know as far as right. like Shrek Shrek's company. Uh, there's a zoo, <laughs> and there's the Red Triangle Circus Gang, and Gotham, go. I mean, God, it's like it's such an afterthought that they even bring back uh, um, Commissioner Gordon in this one. <laughs> like, it's probably contractually obligated because there's just <laughs> nothing. There's just nothing for Gordon to do in this movie. I think he's literally in in two scenes. No, the mayor gets so much more to do, which introduced me to Michael Murphy, which is cool. Mm. Okay, so here Catwoman's going to rub Batman's balls, and I didn't see The Dark Knight Rises, because, you know, fool me twice, won't get fooled again, but um, I'm sure Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises doesn't get that close. I would be shocked. (laughs) Feeling up his vulcanized uh, abdomen, where where the abs used to be. I've never noticed that Michael Keaton smiles at that. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, he does. Um, an erection must be very uncomfortable in a oh, bat suit. Oh, it's got to kill. It's just got to <laughs> kill. Least, at, least, at least this bat suit. Um, which is to say, I guess it was uncomfortable for Keaton. Well, well, maybe this not. Is, this is my favorite scene. <laughs> Look at that man just... just Chilling out. Had a bad day. <laughs> Look at Batman just having had a bad night out here. It's wonderful. <laughs> the phone. <laughs> uh, no no wireless, handless sync no. or anything. You just pick up a fucking receiver. And he's in it. He's got his, you can see the gloves. There's the real cape. It's not CGI. Yeah, it's just, it's just awesome. Keaton might not get, you know, all that screen time in the first 35 minutes, but he gets a more humanizing scene than... Yeah. No, that's the thing. That's why, in the end, it doesn't It doesn't matter. Like, it would have been nice to see more of him, but it's, you know, you can't uh, be dissatisfied with what you got. So, hmm. 
Well, Penguin and Catwoman are about to meet each other. Uh, you saw Birdman recently, didn't you? I did see Birdman recently. Yeah, well, you know, just to keep it on point, what did you think of it as it relates to Batman? Uh, you get the feeling that Michael Keaton didn't offer them much advice on, you know, the realities of the <laughs> Batman movies. It was really, it was like the Wikipedia history of the <laughs> Batman movies, but maybe less so because there has to be somebody on Wikipedia who cared. Um, yeah. Here's Penguin perving out again. <laughs> His sec- I love that his sexual frustration is such an integral part of the character. <laughs> Again, relatable. Um, I didn't say that before, too. did I? I'm saying it now. He's relatable. Maybe not so much for kids. Maybe maybe for maybe for kids who are like now entering adolescence after having seen <laughs> the first, and you know their skin's breaking out. Maybe they're you know they got a weight problem. They're seeing themselves a little bit in this guy. And Catwoman, of course, the elusive uh, feminine mystique. So, <laughs> yeah, and you know, oh, and there's about... that lens again. You can see. You, oh yeah, yeah, lens. you're right. Yeah. Another thing about um, Birdman that was odd is that I'm sure it wasn't written for Keaton because it seems to be about what it would be like to be a legitimate actor who was in a superhero movie for a little while. I, it was probably written for Robert Downey Jr. That's what it feels like. And I actually, you know... Because, because it, like we were saying, when Batman Batman Returns came out, superhero, it wasn't seen as, like, you know... They weren't seen as entries in the superhero movie genre. They were inventing the genre. Scented or unscented? <laughs> <laughs> I, I still I still hear that in my head when people talk about like oils and things. <laughs> scented or unscented? Yeah, this this uh, dialogue is about as Batman sixty six as it gets. Yeah, but it's like but it's like Batman ninety six or <laughs> something. Um, yeah, I have what I have one. Although you could you could hear the line "ban the bat" in uh, in a Batman sixty six episode and not blink yeah. an eye because you'd know it would have been a it would have been a more contextually uh, you know it would have made more sense in sixty six. Another a reference to an enemies list of uh, you know Richard Nixon. Why would we I, know I like to, I like to point out to people means. that like I'm sorry what. Why would we know what an enemies list is anymore? Come on. Right. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like I, I point out to people how Batman 89 has a joke about a Francis Bacon painting. And <laughs> it's con- and it's considered, the you know, the less mature piece of work. And it's like, well, this one references the Gulf of Tonkin, the Reichstag fire, and Nixon's enemies list. <laughs> like, where, where are there cultural or historical references like that in the Nolan movies? Like, there, there aren't because, well, the guy's not, you know... It's a Brit, for one thing. I mean, God, Tim Burton thought it was bad enough having to film uh, the first Batman over there, and then they just take the whole series, the whole uh, the whole series over there. Oh yeah, David Goyer. No, he's American. I, re- I refuse to believe that a British person wrote demonic toys. <laughs> Still his finest work, in my opinion. 
there's a little. I love the little visual motif here of uh, the penguin making. Or it's not a motif, but the penguin making the bat with his hands because it doesn't mean anything. No, it does. I mean, it, it has meaning, but it's an image with meaning, and it's so memorable the way it happens organically. Mm-hmm. Like, I have friends who like you know, different people remember different things from movies, but. Like, I have one friend for whom, uh, yeah, that was the thing. Like, he does that <laughs> when he sees shadows on walls. He does the penguin's uh, bat, bat, uh, the penguin's bat shadow. There's that big There's screen that TV. Big screen. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is another. <laughs> is he eating carrot sticks here? I've always wondered what he's I, eating. Well, Alfred's keeping him healthy, you know? Come on. Yeah. This is this is a line I use in real life, uh, coming up from Keaton here. I hope and pray that the Batman will be present to preserve the peace. <laughs> He's eating carrot sticks. Look at him. <laughs> yeah, you can hear a crunch, right? He's Subtle. healthy. And here's another great Pfeiffer Keaton scene. So you know, having Catwoman. As a major character and, you know, villain really sort of solves the problem of uh, how do you have more Batman or how do you have more Bruce Wayne in the movie without having to do character development? Because, like, that's not something – it's like the character I, – I guess it's like the way Keaton talks about the character, you can t- – like not wanting to reprise it. You can mm-hmm. tell that he saw it as this self-contained thing. Bruce Wayne and Batman are as they exist in the first movie and to do him there wouldn't be any point to doing him more like there's no development there he is who he is and that's kind of a more I don't know um, artistic way of looking at it than just uh, what new things can we have happen to this character because with every superhero movie every Marvel movie and stuff it's like you know what can we do to this guy in his personal life in the next movie that will give right. him quote, character development and arcs and things? But here it's organic because, you know, it's one one character to another. <clears throat> Not just uh, Aunt May needs her ear medicine. <laughs> it's funny how he's so rich, but, like, you don't really... They don't play that aspect up at all in this no. one or to the first one where it's like, oh, man, Bruce Wayne's so loaded. Like, hey, you know, right knocks a grant. But in this one, he's just kind of a guy. <laughs> Here's a bit of vintage 1992 bimbo bashing. <laughs> I love how she's so dumb. She doesn't even know who the penguin is. <laughs> yeah, sure. Talent scouts. You mentioned the uh, sound mix earlier. They had a really juicy thunk to uh, to the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like how Wayne Manor is scary in this one. In the first one, it's just big. In <laughs> this one, it's like terrifying. Yeah, and this and this one too. It's like what three? <laughs> no, two sets. There's like the living room set, the um, study later, mm-hmm. and that exterior. Yeah, you barely yeah. – well, because it doesn't exist, right? Like you said, they didn't shoot at a real mansion like they did in the first one. 
I love the I love the visual of the the fireplace. It's just, just so ridiculously huge, roaring in front of them. I remember this, the first. Yeah, I remember seeing ahead. this in the theater when this scene ends. I'm I'm jumping ahead a bit. Ends with her and Alfred having a moment, and I just remember being you know 13 or 14 and thinking it was awesome. Just like a really nice. Because in the first one, I feel like, what is it? Alfred brings Vicky to the Batcave, but you don't see her talk to Alfred. She just appears. Whereas in this one, it feels like they actually made a point to make Michelle Pfeiffer have a character. Yeah, that's right. She gets a a nice little moment with Alfred. And, you know, they try to give um, Kim Basinger a moment with Alfred in the first one where he's saying, like, oh, yes, I used to wipe Master Wayne's ass. And, oh, he was a... (laughs) Delightful little scamp, and it feels totally phony. I will relay the message. Yeah, this one's much better. The dialogue here has one has a reference to um, Ted Bundy, which future generations are gonna have to you know look Google. up on their yeah. on their cyborg eyeballs. But yeah, that's that's kind of the one bit that lets you know when it was written. Although Norman Bates, you know, very uh, – that's, kind of, that's kind of perfect to hearing, uh, you know, hearing Bruce Wayne compare himself with Norman Bates. <laughs> and people will – you know, that's, an, e- that's a, an easier name to recognize in the future than Ted Bundy for sure. So this is, you know, this is pretty hot and heavy. <laughs> You really get to see them grope each other. Oh, but it has a point, right? Yeah. The scars. The recent injuries of their... I don't, even, I don't even remember, uh, you know, Michael <laughs> K- kissing Kim Basinger in the first one. Um, oh, yeah. On the, uh, oh, on yeah. The stairs, stairs, yeah. Yeah, one drink and I'm flying. Yeah. Oh, hey. There's your other uh, Pat Ingle scene. It's also Gotham City's other black guy. (laughs) Not like in Dark Knight um, where there's a prison (laughs) ship of them. Yeah, well, they're all in prison. I mean, you know, at least they showed you where all the black people are. That's that's that realism that they're talking about. (laughs) Gotham City and... Yeah, it's it needs. Tim Burton literally said, "I didn't like f- filming the first one in England because it had a British subtext." And I thought about that after I read it, and like, there's this, you know, there's a subtext to, with Batman certainly about like, you know, hooded knights and frightening people, and it, it traces back to the clan. I mean, they rode around on horses, and Batman was supposed to ride a horse in the first movie. You know, he's he's on horseback <laughs> in, uh, in Dark Knight Returns. The whole knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, knight, riding, you know, all that stuff. Um, what was I saying? Uh, yeah... Again, Billy D. Williams. It's really sad we didn't get to see him be two things. I know. I know. I know. We've expressed that sentiment like ten times over the history of Alan Smithy podcast, but because you just want to know what color the other side would be, right? <laughs> I'm think. I'm thinking green could have would would have gone be, go would have gone better than purple, like they used in Forever. 
This is a little bit our, goofy. Yeah. Our is, most gratuitous bat cave scene. Yeah. But at least, the, yeah, that, that shot in particular <laughs> on hangers. But now it's over. Yeah, but they juxtapose it nicely with, you know, here's the real difference between men and women. Um, they're in a hurry and they're in a scrambled panic to get ready at the last minute. And Batman's just got everything organized because he's super anal, retentive, compulsive. He's rich, too. Don't forget. Mm-hmm. There he is. Um, oh, yeah, and the Batmobile is such a part of this movie that they have it be sabotaged, even though it makes no sense that Red Triangle Circus Gang could just figure out how to sabotage it. Penguin made them go to lynda.com and learn about these things. <laughs> uh, probably noticed the uh, the early CG of the, of the Batmobile yeah. armor. You know, in the first one, it's it's just stop motion, but it looks fine, and probably could have looked really cool here. But yeah, they went with some early CG that doesn't date well. Yeah, God, the mayor is in this a lot, isn't he? Yeah. This is our biggest street scene in a lot of ways. Um, in the first one, they really show off the set. In this one, Burton's. Not so worried about show- Wow, look at that CG He's not so worried in this <laughs> one About showing off the street sets um, This one makes great use of the rooftops In a way yeah. that the first one didn't get to Until the church tower But, you know, Gotham City being Depicted as these uh, Long, arching, sinewy Towers that stretch Into the night sky You get to see a lot more of that in this one and also, like, where else are Batman and Catwoman going to fight? They're going to fight on the rooftops. They have to. It's the only place for a for a fight. How many how many superhero movies since this have had rooftop fights? <laughs> like all of them. It's just a place for people in costumes to kick each other's asses. This dialogue is so dumb, but it's so well directed. <laughs> Eat floor, high fiver. <laughs> yeah, the fight choreography is so much improved in this one from the first one, too. Yeah. I mean, the first one barely even had it. It had it in that one gratuitous fight where, you know, there's like ninjas and stuff. <laughs> A ninja with two scimitars. So what else? Oh, I guess he can look up easier. I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to get, get, get into the whole pedantic thing of, you know, making the kind of criticisms that led us with Michael Bay's Batsuit from the Nolan movies where everything is just over-designed and busy and, like, has a million different little widgets on it. I digress. Um... <laughs> Hmm. Actual concern from Batman. That's n- nice to see. <laughs> I think that's the one time in two movies that we see it. <laughs> the little rhyming bits of dialogue. He's like he's like Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> Rats with wings do your things. This is like a violent moment that's just kind of glossed over and 
not dwelled on because she's definitely dead. And yeah. there's definitely a big pool of blood under <laughs> under that uh, that fuse box. Nobody listens to Gordon. I like that. <laughs> Gordon, Gordon showed up to be ineffectual. He's only the police commissioner after all. All right, so here's some more, like, you know, early boners in young men's lives, this scene. <laughs> she's not rubbing his balls. She's just, you know, sitting on him. And the line about mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. Why would anyone just say that? <laughs> like, what? if you were standing near mistletoe and somebody said, you know, Dude, mistletoe can be what deadly. Do you know? be... When's the last time Catwoman <laughs> sat on you? And look what he got. She licked his face because he said it. Hotter than anything Batman wow, or Bruce Wayne has done in any movie so sense. so inappropriate. Yeah, that was really inappropriate, actually, when he licked his lips. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, in a lot of ways, that's the most sexual burdens ever gotten. Um, <sighs> I guess that's debatable, but it it's definitely up there because you're right. He rarely does overtly sexual moments between characters. Um, yeah. Oh, right. So I guess what I'm saying is all my life I've been waiting to be at a Christmas party so that <laughs> comment that mistletoe is deadly if you eat it and I can say that a kiss is deadlier if you mean it. <laughs> uh, that one drink and I'm flying, why are you af- afraid, of, afraid of flying is another good bit of banter to try to um, shoehorn in, into yeah. everyday life. <laughs> Look at that. The, the Batmobile it's, had Bluetooth. Look at that. <laughs> There's kind of something about um, the Penguin uh, sabotaging Batman's Batmobile. Like, was this was this a famous Batman story once? Cause I think it, it was actually... It, it was an episode of the show. That was what I was wondering about because famously, again, we're you know, comparing inspirations from 66... That was one of the most famous episodes, the two-parter where Penguin runs for mayor of Gotham. Yeah. So that, I mean, you know, come on, that's not a coincidence. So, yeah, clear clear 66 uh, influence in a way that even in 92 would have been kind of taboo because the first movie was advertised so heavily because that was people's only other frame of reference for Batman. So they were trying to distance themselves really hard right. from that wouldn't have behooved them to say that, oh, yeah, we took a few cues from, you know, Julie Newmar in our version of Catwoman. <laughs> of course, nice there, was never a, there was never a scene like this in 66 between uh, Newmar and, um, and uh, Burgess, Burgess Meredith. Meredith now. Or I guess Lee Merriweather in the Batman 66 movie. I think that was that what it was. Yeah. So, yeah, she's just... Uh, yeah, this is a pretty violent death. I think this is hanging um, from the noose until dead is kind of taboo in England in a way that's not taboo in America. And I'm not saying that Burton did that as a fuck you to England. <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm just saying that this would have added to the controversy because to us, I mean, yeah, it's pretty violent, but sort of no more violent or twisted than anything else that's happened so far. But getting hung from the neck like that is, uh, yeah treated pretty 
seriously in England because they have different cultural standards. Um, for example, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had to be called the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles because the word ninja was thought to be, you know, incendiary. And now here we have the uh, Batmobile sequence, which was cut into the commercials we were talking about earlier. Oh, right, right. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you were saying how, like, the first movie lets you dwell in the sets, and in this one he's not paying much attention to them. It's kind of amazing how, yeah, this is a completely set-bound Gotham City like the first movie, but they really create a sense of, like, the Batmobile driving at, high speed right. through large city in this sequence pretty much just through you know good editing yeah it's good stuff um and the you know batman's batmobile is one of the things that really distinguishes him as a superhero who's different because he can't fly and it's sort of like even other superheroes who can't fly they never really try completely ripping off the idea of the superhero having his own car because they're like because they're like yeah that's too batmobile-ish so really only batman is allowed to have the batmobile that's why it's so great to see him have a, a nice batmobile scene in this oh those those things used to be called compact discs <laughs> Notice how when the Penguin says he played the stinking city like a harp from hell here, it sounds different than when it's played at the speech later. Well, I like the idea that there's a recordable compact disc in 92. <laughs> well, he's Bruce Wayne. He's got, he's, okay. got, he's, got this, he's got this stuff 10 years before everybody else does. Really quick loading, too. He just stuck it in there. And yeah, and it automatically recorded. I mean, that's pretty impressive. There wasn't any... Graphical user interface. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just he just set that thing up so he could automatically record his conversations yep. with it Alfred. The, it was the bat, uh, you know. It was the bat voice or yeah, AV I, record. Yeah, who, who the hell knows? I, I, the bat FaceTime recorder. <laughs> yeah, bat time, bat channel recorder. Okay, so he's going to punch through the floor of the car. No big deal. Nope, it's fine. Because he's <laughs> Batman. This is clearly... <laughs> he's the goddamn uh, Batman. <laughs> uh, the Batmobile uh, does does corners. It handles so much better than in the first one. Now, could this one go faster than 35 miles an hour or no? Do you remember? Well, even if not, they made it look they, as such. They undercranked yeah. the camera. <laughs> That's a very burdeny shot there, the frightened old lady. Um, so yeah, yeah, this <laughs> really <laughs> clips along, doesn't it? Because uh, we're kind of into the home stretch here. I'm always, God, I, I always have that feeling as I'm watching this, where it's like there's this middle section of the movie where the characters are just kind of bouncing off each other. But after this scene, the penguin's going to blow it at the speech. And then we're well and truly into Act yeah, 3. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Again, I, you know, ad infinitum, it doesn't make sense. It looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> and comic books are nothing if not full of things that don't make sense but look cool. 
There they go down the old map painting bridge, map the old map memorial bridge. How great are these um, Oswald Oswald Cobblepot propaganda posters? <laughs> it's it's like in, in a lot of ways it does feel more modern or like than um, Batman eighty nine. And yet, there are a few things like these political posters that really put you back into that uh, 1940s mold. Right. Although, as we mentioned before, yeah, the Batman's going to remix and scratch up some uh, some Penguin tapes. See, he's using the he's using the Oswald Cobblepot caught on tape uh, audio as like found media, and he's retextualizing <laughs> it. To a live performance piece, which is disrupting, you know, the normal political status quo. He's like a he's like an anarchy artist, man. This is like this is like Batman as as uh, Banksy in a way. Of course, look at his outfit. <laughs> he's a sweater. He's a he really likes his sweaters in this movie. I can't get enough of it. Oh, and they take time to shit on the first movie in the midst of all this. Uh, who led Vicky Vale into the Batcave? Oh, I'm just working. Oh, hi, Vic. Come on in. And look, it's just the same set as, like, the fireplace. It's just slightly off to one direction. You can see, like, yeah. it's got, like his his office is in the living room. How comfortable does he look sliding down that tube? It's like another '66 <laughs> moment. It's like it's not quite the bat the bat pole, but it's the bat tunnel. Even uh, reaching into the aquarium to flip mm-hmm. a switch is kind of like the flipping the switch under the Shakespeare bust. I don't quite think there was anything like that in Batman '89. He just sort of shows up, and he's just kind of there in the Batcave. He shows up in there. Well, there's the very futuristic camera shot, you know, um, the one-way glass and that sort of thing. Yeah. But in this one, you never get the feeling that anybody ever goes to Wayne Manor. Right. He's not throwing charity balls. It's really high-tech user interface there. Frequency jammed, frequency jammed. (laughs) The bad CD player. <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> Somewhere on Tumblr, there's a gif of of that CD going in over and over and over again. What, what, why would he say that? <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't even take off his glasses for this one. I love Danny DeVito's acting when he's uh, realizing that he's been found out. <laughs> The sneer to the side. So this was kind of like a Don, Donald Sterling before there was Donald Sterling. But <laughs> they're so, they're so ha- yeah. They're I mean, so they're just... so happy with what they've done. They're going to start a dubstep duo right now. <laughs> Uh, 
is there a Batman comic where Damian Wayne is like really into dubstep and Batman's just like, ah, I'll get you kids today. <laughs> uh, yeah, he doesn't have to do that with Robin anymore. <laughs> God, there's probably a lot of a lot of Batman comics from around the time of Batman Returns where Robin is like listening to grunge and Batman's just like, ah, I go fake. <laughs> The so, um the umbrella with a gun in it is really a penguin staple in all yeah. media, but uh, he only uses it the one time here. So that's uh, what forty five counts of attempted murder. Um, <clears throat> I love how he opens fire into an unarmed crowd, and like the only way he wouldn't hit anybody is if he was deliberately trying not to. And somehow I don't think he had that mercy in him. At that moment. And like a Ninja Turtle, <laughs> jumps into the sewers to, to And escape. finds his way back to his giant pe- uh, dock. Yeah, it's like it's too – it really is too bad that you see it earlier in the movie because it just would have been mind-blowing and seeing it for the first time there. <laughs> Except you wouldn't have, right? Because like we've been saying, this thing was heavily promoted. It was a major movie. There were McDonald's toys of this duck. Oh, yeah. I think I might still have one somewhere. Love the creakiness of the uh, of the duck wing as it slides all the way open. <laughs> <laughs> he's been neglecting his penguins. Yeah, he's getting back to his roots now. <laughs> I think the uh, I think the animal um, I am not an animal uh, elephant man reference is one that is a good reference because people will still get it. <laughs> It kind of, it's like be afraid, be very afraid or something. <laughs> kind of goes beyond the initial popularity of the movie. Oh, that uh, fat clown, the one who's about to ask if maybe it's a little much that we're planning to murder children in this family superhero adventure movie. Um, that fat clown is, um... oh, he's in Party Plane. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, no <laughs> He's in a shitty TNA movie from the 80s called Party Plane. That's what I had to add. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, how great is it that the, the movie stops to point out how fucked up it's getting and then to underscore it, they shoot a clown? <laughs> this this movie's kind of fucked up, says the clown. No shit, says the penguin as he shoots the clown. <laughs> No, it's a lot. Alfred walking dangerously along the precipice. Batman just fixing his car. Yep, he's just working on his car in a coat, in a little jacket there. <laughs> Walked off the set of Mr. Mom. Very stylish, very stylish. These um, these Max Shrek cat heads I always thought kind of looked uh, Fleischer-esque, like the yeah. like, uh, you know Betty Boop cartoon or something. It's a nice, uh, nice little influence. So, if this were a Nolan movie, uh, this would be the part where someone says to Bruce Wayne and or Selena Kyle, "Hey, how come you guys aren't in costume?" Or and then one of them would say, "Well, maybe we are." 
<laughs> oh, look at that pyramid on Max Shrek's head, Illuminati. <laughs> with the eye and everything. They're Looking secret, at Bruce. Secret. I, with the eye, exactly. <laughs> Cluing us into their sinister influence. Okay, back to the movie. <laughs> Fan with the opera reference there. Nice. Nice. Uh-huh. And um, Susie and the Banshees on the soundtrack, uh, you know, just to really goth it up here. It's actually a cool song because, like, they work the Danny Elfman Catwoman theme into it, if you listen to the song on its own. Yeah. There's a music video, but it's it's just, like, clips of the movie and uh, Susie and some Caligari-looking set writhing around. Well, I guess you do get a sense of Bruce Wayne's social standing again, thanks to this scene. Um, he's not completely just your average, ordinary, everyday, everyday Joe. When you see him here in the tux and the little bow tie, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit like he's I don't know an old old time leading man. Because I don't know what like yeah, Val Kilmer wears a a tux in Batman Forever, but. It's that some, you know, fucking neon day glow abomination (laughs) corporate promotion that Edward Nygma's putting on. This is like a real, this is a real class party. This is like a party that the Shining Ghosts would be at. And obviously they're having this great scene here. Um, It's also great because... Pfeiffer has this little arc where she's super confident and then she she breaks down. And it really like reminds you of that the character is, is not just supposed to be this unstoppable she bitch. Right. She's got she's got her vulnerability and her and her motivation. Like she's clearly willing to I don't know, get thrown in jail tonight just to just to shoot Max. Pulling out a loaded gun in the middle of a ballroom. It's crazy. Do you think Keaton lost weight between the first Batman and this one? I feel like he looks in better shape in this one somehow. Yeah, in the it could be the hair too. He had that goofy uh Yeah, it's a little shorter of a haircut in this yeah. one. Maybe that's all it is. Oh, here we go. They both realize that they're the only other, each is the only other person who would ever say that while looking at mistletoe. And they're meant for each other. I'm just watching the scene now. I will say, in anticipation of the penguin about to burst up from the ground, this is this was like one of the big money shots from the trailer to this movie. Yeah, it's, it was. Yeah. Well, now you, you couldn't know. do that without CGI, so. Yeah, like they actually threw stuntmen across the room for this. Um, and yeah, then, of and course, he can't start- find her, which makes no sense. Yeah, right. Um, oh, well, well, there she is. They just got blown in different directions. 
but yeah, then they slip out. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, like the advertising definitely tried to hide that the penguin was going to be as much of a freak as he was. Cause you look at him here and he's, well, I mean, we're, you know, we're in the third act of the movie. Like we said, he's in full on villain, villain mode here. And then like, but then like maybe the only other shot of him from the whole rest of the movie that they could use in advert and promotional materials where he wasn't being completely disgusting or in his diaper or whatever was just like <laughs> that one moment in the office where he's up on the stairwell and saying, I may have saved the mayor's baby. Just, just that scene and this scene are where he at least looks the most like a traditional villain or a villain who is not a villain who doesn't make you want to wipe your ass just looking at him. <laughs> Dad, go save yourself. Chip Shrek. He's got a chip in his teeth. And now we get back to Christopher Walken having a far bigger part than one would expect. Yeah, he's kind of gone from... He kind of... They kind of didn't need him in the story at this point. Uh, they could have gotten away with... Oh, I don't know. The Penguin maybe not wanting revenge, any specific revenge on Max Shrek. But for the whole firstborn son things... Oh, yeah, so that came up again, um, you know, because the penguin is threatening the crowd, telling them that all their children are being kidnapped. All the children, all the firstborn children in Gotham City are going to be kidnapped because, oh, look at this, because he's uh, <laughs> because he wrote down all their names over what I assume was like a marathon 40-hour cram session <laughs> at all of records for a city the size of New York, at least. Um and he's getting get his gang of circus people to to ride around in a toy train collecting them. <laughs> Again, this is like okay. Well, this is probably as illogical. This is probably the most illogical thing in the movie, in a movie full of illogical things, I would say. But couldn't you? Sorry. Also, the most traumatizing to children. <laughs> so well, I it, think you uh, could get the tro- toy train as a McDonald's. Thing, <laughs> I think you could get that, this. Like the yeah, Batman I, Returns I, toy I train. Yeah, I don't doubt it. If if not at McDonald's, then like you know the Kenner toy line, perhaps. Yeah, just stuffing children in barred cages for their it's murder. Fine. For their murder later. I mean, Vincent Schiavelli's face alone should be enough to give any child nightmares. <laughs> I think as a kid I thought that or is it implied that like the green end of the penguin's pool is full of toxic waste yeah. but he's letting his peng- but he's letting his penguins swim around in there. It doesn't make good. any sense. Similarly, it doesn't make any sense that Batman could get the monkey to do this. <laughs> I'm not lying when I say I've ne- I never even considered that. <laughs> That's how uh, flawless the storytelling is. This is something I like to reference with uh, certain friends. I, when I can't make something, I tell them that 
children regret they are unable to attend Batman. So for a while, it was law that every so often movies would have to have a Patton parody scene. And here it is. <laughs> and this is something where it's like the, fa- the fact that nobody thinks about Patton references anymore helps this scene because it's stronger as its own thing than just a Patton parody. Because it's not really. Um, I guess they sort of had to because it was the only way they could get away with the penguin making a speech to an army of penguins. Um, this is like when people talk to their pets, you know, <laughs> like you just, you just look at them and you know that they're delusional because there's no way the pet knows what they're saying, but they believe it. <laughs> I, I like that, uh, the penguin has to bring up the erogenous zones because again, we've got to <laughs> earn that PG 13 as much as we can. It is almost like they said, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna swear and um we're not gonna have nudity. How much else can we get away with? As Burton's trying to keep kids away from this movie in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, he really just didn't care that kids would see this movie. But that's kind of the great thing. I mean, all of his great classic early works are uh, you know not age specific they're not condescending to children and they're not you know being pretentious towards adults they're sort of uh, just they are what they are all right so he's gonna use the he's gonna turn the penguins around <laughs> see this i guess this part i as much as i love the oddness of it um it annoys me because they're just copying the beats that the third act of batman 89 has where the Joker is going to do a big, terrible thing with the balloons and, and Gotham right. or whatever. And Batman has to show up in a vehicle to stop him. That's all they're copying here. That's the only reason I don't like this. But at least you get great lines like, they wouldn't put me on a pedestal, so I'm laying them out on a slab. <laughs> yeah, this is just silliness. I've been defending this movie a lot. I can't defend this right here. <laughs> Watching rockets and the bat boat, the bat jet ski, <laughs> barely. It evaded. has a weird name, yeah. Although I do love Keaton's reaction. Uh, that's sort of like, did that really just happen? Look that he gets. <laughs> He's like, did I really just dodge rockets fired by penguins? Just to try to underscore some reality here, this uh, announcer lady is talking about what the death toll is going to be. Because <laughs> that's not going to be bad for kids. That'll be fine for them. That's one. That's really one of the lesser offensive things towards kids. <laughs> uh, not that it isn't. It's just one of the lesser ones. One hundred thousand people. Like, do you have to say it like that? She's got the dog, though. <clears throat> Yeah, Poodle Lady is by far the most chilling of the uh, of the circus game. Because she clearly loves her little dog, but she's going to kill yeah. hundreds of thousands of children. She's like, I, I started out just wanting to work in the circus. How did I, how did my <laughs> life end up here? I'm in, engaging in the destruction of an entire city. 
Also, is it me? I, are penguins' arms supposed to bend backwards like that, or uh, were just some, or were some of the arms on the penguin animatronics just getting loose? <laughs> like that one. How would he be able to detect the motion of just penguins? <laughs> right. Uh, I guess because, you know, what's what's less explicable is how does the penguin have technology to radio control direct his penguin army? It would actually be more believable if he just spoke penguin and was telling them all. <laughs> I mean, more, be- you know, more believable yeah. by the rules established in this movie oh and this is great it's like it's it's a good thing that there was just that tunnel adjacent to the main entrance yeah i just get annoyed that they felt they had to do this to copy the end of batman 89 and um the cartoon logic of it it's actually the same cartoon logic that you see at the end of Batman 89 as far as, like, he shoots... The Joker shoots the bat plane with his gun and it goes down. Um, you know, we, we've got a big motorized rubber duck running upstairs here. <laughs> this, you know, it's it's tapped from the same vein. So that's what makes it work. I mean... But actually you know they well hell batman and penguin have pretty good banter uh too i mean it's on par with uh whatever they say to each other at the end of batman 89 but actually one line in particular that i love that i not so much the rest of it but you're just jealous of me because i'm a genuine freak and you have to wear a mask <laughs> like <laughs> again you talk about good comic book dialogue in this movie that's just like it's a funny, insulting summation <laughs> from one character to another of their entire relationship and the absurdity of it. And, you know, whatever. You compare that with Heath Ledger mugging and going, you're just a freak like me. Oh, and then and Batman says, you might be right. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> little, little bit of a killing joke moment, perhaps. I remember... Again, before I saw this movie, like one of my friends described it to me as a kid, and he was saying like, "Yeah," and then the bat, and then Batman takes out a remote and he pushes the button and everything explodes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, that doesn't sound like Batman. <laughs> what? I mean, I can barely explain what's happening here. Uh, the pa- <laughs> Batman just has a remote that will make the penguin's rockets launch so when the penguin grabs it he presses it eagerly because he thinks that the rockets are going to like launch at <laughs> batman or he's so happy here like what does he think's gonna happen yeah that's gonna happen yeah cg bat <laughs> cg bats it's a cheap gimmick but i love in any batman story where a batman villain gets surrounded by real bats <laughs> And, yeah, Batman keeps a compartment of bats in his boat. 
in his boat. I don't even know. Bats are useful. You know what? Maybe they were just supposed to have come from somewhere else. I don't know. It's nighttime, whatever. They just sort of come out of nowhere. It looks like they come out of the boat. I love how they're able to sell this, like, silly idea of Shrek getting out of his cage with the key. It's just perfect. (laughs) I think it's because of that great take the monkey does when he takes the keys. (laughs) When they shot that, they were like, yeah, fucking nailed it. (laughs) That monkey uh, just made the best face. All right, realism quibbles. Uh, No, a revolver wouldn't work after being submerged in water. But come on, that happens in lots of movies. All right, so now we've got kind of phase three Catwoman here. (laughs) She's all uh, (sighs) disheveled. Yeah, we're not really worried about that. It's nice to uh, to see a superhero movie where this is not actually referred to as Catwoman costume Mark III. I like that Batman got to use uh, a bit more grappling hook type gadgets in this one. Like this grappling hook that he's going to slide down on. Uh, it's so good. So there was one kind of Batman moment that Burton could always nail out of the park. It was like him swooping down on things. Yeah. His wings spread out. And we're going with an unhappy ending here. There's no making out with Nicole Kidman while you 2 plays Hold Me, Thrill Me. <laughs> nobody, nobody's going to get what they want in this movie. Nobody. <laughs> And so, you look at um, you look at the first movie. Like Keaton really had to struggle to act through the through the you know kind of the helmet of the bat mask, yeah. Owl, and in this one, like they sort of sculpt it to his face more. So that really helps a scene like this, where he's really got this dramatic moment he's trying to sell through the costume. Yeah. And she's got a lot more visible face. So. Right. Well, you can see her eyebrows. Yeah. Keaton has these sculpted ones. So when you saw this for the first time, did you notice that he, his mascara was gone? Yes, I did. Okay. I was young enough that I overlooked it. <laughs> but you didn't care, right? I didn't care. Yeah. Because really, that's fanboy, pea brain fanboy gibberish to care about. Actually, as a kid, I saw this and I thought he looked like Darth Vader, (laughs) as as I'm sure probably a few people did. With the high back collar, yeah. Yep, and the black cape, yeah. Suddenly Batman is um, Vader Keaton. She has amazing hair for wearing around that, you know, skull cap. (laughs) So, uh... I wish we had counted the disturbing things to children in this movie. But, um, <laughs> yeah, getting shot point blank in the guts is, is way up there, I think. Oh, this is another thing, too. It's like, if you're young enough, you can watch this and kind of believe some fairy tale logic that she has nine <laughs> lives. 
for real, though. I mean, you know, watching it as an adult and with that filter on it, it's like, okay, perhaps she's just, you know, psychotic. <laughs> but as, as a kid, you can almost buy it. You know, she was brought back to life by the cats. It was magical. Maybe the water affected the gun's effectiveness. <clears throat> There's the taser, of course, from the first scene. Oh, yeah. They set up all the way back there. Not much for Batman to do at this no. point. Yeah, literally nothing to do. He's going to watch the penguin walk out of the water and then fall over. That's one of those other scenes where I feel like they needed another reaction shot from Keaton coming up here in a second just because. Yeah, it's kind of making him a little bit much of a of a bystander during this whole climax. So I think it was right about here, this shot of uh, the penguin with the black blood dripping down his <laughs> chin, that uh, I, was, I was watching this uh, on video with my dad. My dad went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> looks like a McDonald's milkshake. <laughs> uh, I was, I was just, uh, I was in a state of shock at this point, like nothing could, no, nothing could traumatize me any further. <laughs> Not, not even that really bad, charred uh, Christopher Walken puppet that uh, that Keaton unearths. How great is that reaction shot of Keaton, though, over his yeah. shoulder and the zoom in? That's like Batman. That's, that's really Batman without the mask right there. And the Penguin has a big operatic slash... Um, Vincent, maybe not so much operatic as uh, Vincent Price kind of uh, death scene here, or a universal monster. And then just to really uh, put a cap on the uh, <laughs> on the opera, uh, the the dark theater of it all, he has these penguin pallbearers who have just been waiting there because they're not, <laughs> you know. They're not the ones who have to send the missiles. They're just the they're the royal guard of the penguin army. Yeah. And here's the thing too, it's like probably I a big a part of the backlash against this movie at the time really was from comic book fans. It really was I th I think. I mean, I don't know what your experience was, but it was sort of accepted as like a fact of life and oh sweet there's a new batman movie but once that initial buzz wore off it was it was a lot of a lot of batman comics readers saying that burton had gotten too weird and too or too silly was that was that your take on it at least from like the scene from comic fandom at you the time you know at the time i was not I don't think I was reading comics a lot, but I mean, there was a lot of backlash from fans of the the '89 uh, one for this kind of thing. Um, well, sure, and that and that too, because it's so different. Well, I don't know. In any case, history continues not to be kind to Batman Returns. It's never gotten its due. No, I mean it it's hasn't. sort of like well, it's sort of well remembered, but even critically, it's not. Uh, you know, 
it's not making any ten lists or anything. But it really, well, I'd go so far to say, nah, I would. It's it's one of the best, you know, big studio movies of the '90s of the whole decade. Oh, easily, easily, just because. Like everything works, and it's also like unique and uh, unique in a kind of dangerous, exciting way that took risks. And I think I really think there is something for everybody. I mean, I think you might have to. This is uh, this is a Batman movie that we needed, that needed to be, and we're lucky to have it because. No other Batman movie has attempted to be kind of gothically horrific while also funny and intelligent. And tragically humanist. Yeah, and also it has good action. It doesn't skip on that either. So I don't know. It just kind of, yeah. Sometimes I like to say this is the better, you know, it's not as good of a Batman movie as Batman 89, but it's a better movie. And sometimes I think maybe it is a better Batman movie, or at least a perfect complement to the first one. Yeah. And now I'm upset again that Burton didn't make Batman Forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, he, it wouldn't have been called Batman Forever because uh, he is quoted as saying Batman Forever sounds like something you'd get tattooed while you're on acid. <laughs> so he would have gone with a different title at least. And that's very uh, these two those two movies, Batman Returns and Batman Forever, really show the the two sides of the '90s. Once blockbuster right. nonsense had taken over by Forever, and then of course this shot and um, hearkening back to the first one, and mm-hmm. here we go. And Catwoman's alive, and she had time to fix her costume. Yep. Setting up a Catwoman movie, which would not come to fruition until 10 years later with Halle Berry. Yep, after years of teasing us, including after Mars Attacks or something, that we were someday going to actually get this uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Tim Burton Catwoman movie. Yeah, I am. Which, by the way, if you... Again, read Daniel Waters' interviews. All of his ideas were totally campy. It's like she she goes to like a rehab center for superheroes or something. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, barely, I'm barely exaggerating. Like, yeah. I think the script is available online, but I've never yeah. again. I've never read it. Um, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any real reason to. But it is no. it is funny how he you know he really did not care to make a superhero movie. Um, yeah. So we've got a lot of credits. A lot of people worked on this. Uh, not not a lot in the special effects there. Look at that. That's only, uh, what, 10, 12 people. Yeah. I remember when I saw this in the theater, uh, I saw it with my uh, best friend and his family, and they all hated it, and I, <laughs> I loved it, and I yeah. was bewildered the entire ride back to their house that... Uh, <clears throat> because I at this point, I had sort of... Um, 92, I'd sort of calm down on bat my Batmania. <laughs> yeah, so you needed to be won over, and you were, huh? I was. This won me over, and it always has. Um... I guess I guess a lot of America was, right? Because, like, there was animosity towards the hype that surrounded the first movie. 
that might have fed it, that might have fed into the backlash against this one as well. I mean that there would that would have like fed into any kind of backlash regardless of how Batman Two turned out. I mean, I don't remember the hype. I mean, obviously the hype did not continue. I mean, it was very much like. Um, but it wasn't going to continue because with Batman eighty nine. We're talking about, like, two generations of Batman fans being like, holy shit, there's a Batman movie. Right. And and with this one, there was a little bit of a Temple of Doom thing where, you know, everybody saw it and everybody (laughs) spent their money on it. And then they started bitching about it it later. Took it it for granted. Uh, Sure. Yeah, because what are you going to do? Not see Batman 2? Come on. (laughs) Um, and really, at this point, there were only a handful of franchises. What, five, maybe six? Yeah. Mostly Spielberg. I would right, exactly. Think. I mean, and this would be before Jurassic Park, which, you know, really ushered in the 90s and the sort of yeah, the 90s big... style of blockbuster. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, yeah, what else is there to say? Um I don't know. I notice new things when I watch this movie. Uh, it's always a sign of quality uh, quality film. Um, you know, for instance, this time you got to point out to me how it doesn't. How did Batman get that monkey to bring the note back? <laughs> even if it, even if it's just even if it's just noticing new you know logical flaws, it's that still counts. Well, of course, um, and I think I mentioned this at some point during the Alan Smithy podcast, um, there was an article at the time where they interviewed Burton. I think it was probably in entertainment weekly, uh, on the set of the old zoo after the, after filming had finished and, you know, the vehicles were still there and everybody was, the feature writer was just stunned by what, (laughs) Wow, I love it. Pat Hingle is credited after Chip. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But uh, Owen oh, Doug Jones was in this movie, everyone. There you go. Mm. But, yeah, so the, the the writer from whatever magazine was just, you know, sort of stunned by being on that set. Yeah. And it it brought up these very Empire Strikes Back vibes that uh, didn't carry over to uh, the audiences, I guess. Yeah. Well, I don't know, America. Hollywood gives you this movie and you don't care for it. No. Fooey to you. You'll... You'll get Batman forever, and you'll like it. Oh wait, you do like it. All right. Well, here's here's Batman and Robin. Oh yeah, Face to Face by Susie and the Banshees and Super Freak gets credited because uh, the band at uh, the Max Charade Ball is playing is playing an instrumental of it. Can, can you even imagine a um, major studio picture having what was that three minute end credits or less? <laughs> yeah, and I always remember these credits as being really long. And they're um, not. <laughs> no, they were long at the time, and that's old news. 
Actually, they are. Actually, they actually are long. They were five minutes. Okay, that's still considered long, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's a reasonable length. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there Batman is. returns. It um. His tapes. <laughs> I guess the period where Batman Returns is going to get um, that joke. That joke is dated in more than one way. Going to get recognition is over in multiple ways. Tim Burton's gone through his career renaissance, and he's out the other side where he's a has been again, and. Mm-hmm. Michael Keaton's making Michael Keaton's new career is apparently based on making fun of Batman movies. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll Michelle see. Pfeiffer is nowhere to be found. Um, Danny DeVito is waiting to die. <laughs> He's uh, on Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I believe. Is that still going? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I know that's the most recent thing he's done. But it's certainly a fall from producing Steven Soderbergh films. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, Michael um, Murphy showed up in X-Men 3, right? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you and Michael Murphy. I love Michael Murphy, okay? Certainly. I love him. But I don't like Manhattan. It it, it, hurt, it wounds me. I wish I could like Manhattan more because I've Michael Murphy is in it. <sighs> I do. I do love me some Michael Murphy. I'm sure Michael Moriarty. Oh, that'd be awesome, too. He would have made a much better Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. All right, so on that, yeah, total, that on, that, on that totally inane note, um, thank you for asking me to record this commentary with you. It was fun. Yes, it was. Um, I, it was worth the wait of uh, whenever the hell we first suggested it after recording the first commentary. Yeah, and this was a nice thing to do as like kind of a year anniversary for Alan Smithy Alan podcast, and. Uh, I promise that one of these days I'll I'll get around to cutting up old episodes into best of and really making AlanSmithyPodcast dot com look like a real website. So uh, you know, fans can have that to look forward to. And uh, yeah, you can check out my current cartooning uh, projects at SissyLaughs dot com, which is S I S S Y L A F F S dot com and keep reading and listening to andrew all the time every day i can't even do a better commercial for myself <laughs> than that but yes no sissy laughs is awesome and uh oh and i mean hell if you like comics like batman comics uh, read uh comics fondle which is oh, his comics good blog gr- good grief sir i was gonna say about sissy laughs that um you did have some more specialized things earlier uh, with uh, the Judge Dread, <clears throat> the little Judge Dread. Uh-huh. But now that you've started your um, Tintin project, I think that's actually far more accessible because even <laughs> if people don't know Tintin, yeah, they can sort of get the humor of. Well, look, I only parody European comics characters. That's my one rule. <laughs> Can't break it. <laughs> You just threw the UK in with Europe. 
I know they would hate that. You're not they supposed would, to do that. but Tim Burton might might appreciate it. Uh, All right. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much more banter can we do on this. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. It was uh, hopefully some Alan Smithy fans will find their way to this because it was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks again, and uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>